Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Very beautiful music. Thank you very much. As I was uh, listening to the music, so first of all, that's the message for today. Uh, Trust in the Lord with all of your understanding. Lean not to your own understanding, with all of your heart, lean not to your own understanding. Uh, Beautifully performed, uh, very touching. I found as I was listening to you, there was just a certain point when I just felt tears in my eyes because of how beautiful you are. And and, uh, the children, the youth here are beautiful. You're beautiful people. And I thank the families, the parents that are here for for what we're doing. Uh, We've all made mistakes. We've made terrible mistakes in our lives. And I think this next generation has the opportunity to do it right and to to gain ground. Where we we have fallen short, you can gain ground. Uh, There's a scripture, I don't have it offhand, but there's uh, one of the prophets that asked God to slay him because he's no better than his fathers. And the implication being that every generation should be better than the generation before it. So... That's very much what I want to talk to you about today, Uh, not just the youth, but all of us. And let's begin in this scripture that was in the scripture reading today, 1 Corinthians 5. (coughs) 1 Corinthians 5, we'll just read it again, verses 7 and 8. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, very familiar scripture. Purge out the old leaven. We read it every year during the days of unleavened bread, which are just, uh, Passover is just 48 days away, so we're very close to the spring holy days now. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And this really is the central scripture for the message today as we head into the feast, but really the rest of our lives. Let's keep the feast and let's keep our lives in an unleavened manner, not with the old leaven. Now, before we really understand this scripture, Let's pick up the context for it. What is the apostle really talking about? You know, clearly it's a message for unleavened bread. Let's purge out the old leaven and and live unleavened lives of sincerity and truth. But what is the context of this? Why is he saying this? Let's go to verse 1. Verse 1, where we see the topic under discussion. It is reported commonly that there is, and my translation says fornication, the Greek word is porneia. Porneia is not just fornication. In fact, fornication clearly we can see is the wrong translation because what he really should be saying here is adultery. This is, this is adultery. A man is having his father's wife. So it's not fornication. It's porneia. Sexual immorality. Any type of sexual perversion. Any sexuality outside of marriage. The marriage bed is undefiled. Any sexuality outside of the marriage bed is porneia, any at all. So the context then 
for this unleavened bread is porneia. And here in the Corinthian congregation, it was reported commonly, everybody knew about it, that in this congregation, porneia was taking place, and it was just a known thing. And such porneia, as is not so much as even named among the Gentiles. So the church took porneia to a new level. Corinth was a corrupt society. There was the term to do the, Corinth, to do the Corinthian, to Corinthianize, which meant to really engage in debauchery. And the church excelled. It, it, out, it out, uh, stripped the Gentiles in porneia. It's such porneia as is not so much as even named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife Unbelievable. And, and then this has happened, and you are puffed up and have not rather mourned. You're completely out to lunch, in other words. You, you're, you're proud. You're very liberal. You're very tolerant. You're very open-minded. You feel good about yourselves. You've checked out. You're in big, big trouble. You should be mourning, not rejoicing. You, you don't understand your spiritual state. That he that has done this deed might be taken away from among you. So this is the context of purging out the old leaven. The leaven is in this individual. It's in his behavior. It's in the porneia. And the porneia is in the congregation. And Paul is saying, purge out the old leaven. Porneia is old leaven. It's not new. Corinthians didn't invent porneia. It's something that's very old. There is a fight against marriage. There's a war on marriage that is as old as mankind. The moment God married Adam and Eve, war was declared on marriage. And that's the porneia. And it's old. It's not new. For I, verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, I'm with you. I have judged this matter already as though I were present. I'm not even there. And I already, I, I see 2020. You're right there and you're blind. It's happening right under your nose and you don't see it. And I'm absent and I'm hearing the reports and I've got God's judgment on this. Concerning him that has done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, and my spirit is there as well, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. In other words, he has no business being in the congregation. Put him out. Don't, don't let him engage in this spiritual walk that he has nothing to do with because you're actually jeopardizing his spiritual health. Better for you and for him if you just put him out. He doesn't belong in the church. When his time comes, let it come. But he doesn't belong here now. Now, let's skip over verses 7 and 8 because they're so familiar. And as soon as we read them, we read into it our spiritual understanding of unleavened bread. And, and then we get distracted and we lose the train of thought. We're not like the Hebrews where it's a very complicated text 
that the apostle was able to teach the brethren, and they could follow his line of thought. We're being trained to be very simplistic. Our brains can basically digest a tweet. And that's it. That's, that's our capacity. 140 characters, and then we're lost. So here, the apostle speaks in a way that he's got one subject on his mind, and then he has these asides. And, and we end up going down the path of the aside and losing the subject. The subject is porneia. That's the subject. Let's stay on track. And so we'll come back to verses 7 and 8 and stay with the subject of porneia. So we have porneia in the congregation. The con- it's happening right under their noses. They're not doing anything about it. Paul is saying, with the authority of Christ, put this man out. And then verse 9. I wrote to you in an epistle not to keep company with fornicators. This is um, pornos, pornos, uh, people involved in porneia. Don't keep company with them. Yet not altogether with the pornos of this world or with the covetous or, or extortioners or with idolaters. For then must you needs go out of the world. In other words, the world has gone mad. The world has gone mad with porneia. It's everywhere. If I wrote to you to say, don't keep company with pornographic people, you couldn't talk to anybody because it's everywhere. So when I wrote that, what I'm talking about is in the congregation. Don't do that. Verse 11. But now, sorry, verse 10. Yet not altogether with the pornos of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world, but now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a pornos. That's the issue. If you're in the church and you're a pornos, now we have a big problem. If you're in, if you're in the church and you're involved in sexual immorality outside, any kind of sexual contact outside of marriage, that's a big problem. In the world, it's all over. But in the church, unacceptable. Or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such one, such a one, know not to eat. This is the subject of deleaven. Have nothing to do with the old leaven of porneia. Nothing at all. Don't even eat with somebody who you know is engaged, who's called a brother, who's engaged in porneia. Have nothing. Don't, don't, get even, don't get close to it. Flee from it. Have nothing to do with it. Verse 12. For what have I to do to judge them also that are outside? Do not you judge them that are within, but them that are without, God will judge. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that pornos, that old leaven. This is the subject of 1 Corinthians 1. So now we can go to verse, now that we've got the subject, it's putting out the old leaven of porneia. Now we can come to verses 7 and 8 and understand what he's saying. It was an aside to reinforce his point. He says here, verse 6, your glorying is not good. You're, you're off. You're blinded. 
you're, you're thinking highly of yourself when you ought to mourn. Know you not that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? The subject is porneia. That's the subject. We take it spiritually, and it's true, spiritually. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. The subject is porneia. You let in a little bit of porneia, and you corrupt the whole lump. The lump is the congregation. So any porneia at all that enters into the congregation threatens the life of the whole, the spiritual life of the whole congregation. That's his point. Therefore, because this is true, that the whole congregation is at risk, therefore, purge out this old leaven of porneia. Get it out of your congregation. That you may be a new congregation. A humble congregation. You're puffed up as a congregation. Not good. You're not heading to the kingdom of God. The whole congregation is in trouble. The whole congregation is about to be shipwrecked. Purge out the porneia so that you can be a humble lump. You can be a lump that will enter the kingdom of God as you are unleavened. So they had deleavened their homes. And he's saying, yeah, the same way you've deleavened your homes, deleaven the congregation. Deleaven the lump. Be a new lump. Why? For even Christ our Passover, even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. This is what we're dealing with. Jesus Christ, our God, the divine one, the perfect one, came down to earth and was slaughtered, was murdered, was tortured, was crucified. Why? For us. He did it for us. Take this walk seriously. Don't mess around. A high price has been paid for us to walk in this way. Let's not be arrogant. Let's not take it for granted. Let's walk humbly with our God, with reverence, understanding that our souls were bought with a price, a very high price. So, so in other words, when we realize the magnitude of the sacrifice, let's, let's de-leaven our lives. Let's de-leaven the con- with, with a passion. We, we have to go at this with a passion because we understand the price that has been paid. And so as we come into the Passover this year, and I'm very sorry that uh, Jennifer and I won't be with you. For the, well, we, will, we will be with you in spirit, but we'll be in Ottawa. But regardless, let's come into this Passover with a very, very deep sense of reverence and a very, very deep sense of gratitude of, of the price that has been paid. If God said to us, sacrifice yourself, Sacrifice your children to be in the kingdom. That would be perfectly reasonable. But what he says is, I have sacrificed myself so that you can be in the kingdom. Let's go into this Passover with deep reverence and respect. Purge out here means to cleanse thoroughly. Leave no trace. When you've cleaned something thoroughly, there's no trace of it. It means the congregation should not have any trace at all of porneia. It should be pure. The old, the Greek word pleos, it means 
antique, worn out. It's from the word palais, which means a great while ago. So we've got to completely clean out a leaven that is not new. It's something that goes way back. It's been plaguing mankind from way back. It's worn out. This, this story is old. This is not a new story. It's old. We've got to purge it out and be new. Be a new love. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. Corinthians 15, so same letter, same author, same audience. He says to them this, beginning in verse 30, And why stand we jeopardy every hour? They were in danger every hour. They were on the run. Constantly, uh, their lives are being threatened with torture or with death. Why? Why would you go through this? Verse 31, I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. Uh, every day, I don't know if I'm going to see the end of the. I don't know if I'll see. When, when the sun rises and I get up, I don't know if I'll see the sunset that day. My life is that much at risk. So every day, I have to live in such a way to say, okay, this, this could be it. I could be tortured today. I could be sacrificed today. If after the manner of men, I have fought with beasts at Ephesus. So I've been thrown to the lions, I've been thrown to the tigers. What benefit is it to me if the dead do not rise? So his argument to the Corinthians is, of course there's a resurrection. Why would I be thrown into the lions and put up with this if I knew that when I die, that that's it? I'd have to be a fool. The reason I do this is I know that when I die, there's a resurrection. I, I'm going to come back to life. This is the proof of the resurrection. That, the, that we, we are willing to withstand anything because we have a vision beyond. If the dead rise not, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. In other words, let's just enjoy ourselves. What's the point? If, if there is nothing beyond this life, then let's just enjoy this life. Be not deceived. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. There, there is a massive deception taking place. There are close to 8 billion people on the planet, and there is a massive deception taking place. In other words, 8 billion people are deceived. Save a handful. Don't be, don't be in the 8 billion. Be in the, be in the handful. Do not be deceived. And what is it that we shouldn't be deceived about? Evil communications corrupt good manners. Same author, same audience, same subject. If you have communion with corruption, you will be corrupted. Purge out, therefore, the old love. Don't be deceived about this. The Corinthians were deceived. In fact, they were, they were boasting, they were glorying by the fact that they could have leaven in the congregation. 
and they felt sophisticated. And the author is saying, don't fool yourself. If you have communion with evil, you will be cor- it's a law. You will be corrupted. It's a law. It, this, is, this is a spiritual science. Spiritual science. You mix with evil, you become evil. So, verse 34, awake to righteousness. In other words, purge out the leaven, the old leaven. Awake to righteousness. Get the unleavened bread in and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. So what we want to do, brethren, in the sermon today as we prepare for the Passover and the days of unleavened bread is to have the right perspective on what we're doing and to figure out how we as a congregation can purge out the old leaven and keep the feast with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So we're going to look at this old leaven from two perspectives. One is the physical perspective. Porneia, physical porneia. It shouldn't be in the congregation. The other is the parallel, spiritual porneia. And we're going to see that these two are very closely coupled. Physical porneia and spiritual porneia are two sides of the same coin. And we have to purge them out. We have to be pure. Deacon Jan spoke last week on, on, on marriage and the Jewish customs around marriage and, and the purity of that marriage. We need to understand this spiritually. So we'll look at physical, we'll look at spiritual. But before we do that, let's get a bit of context. So we'll get the context first, then we'll look at physical and spiritual. Second Corinthians 11. Second Corinthians 11, here we're just picking up the context. We have been born into an epic battle. An epic battle. There are two sides. And we're born into this. And we have no choice. We have to declare a side. We're either on Satan's side or we're on the Lord's side. There is no neutral territory. There is no... If we are deceived... We are on Satan's side. If we are enlightened through Christ, we're on the Lord's side. Nothing in between. So as we grow up and we get some couple of decades behind us, we have to decide whose side are we on. And if we're on the Lord's side, it means a life of purity. It means a life of unleavened bread. If we're on Satan's side, do whatever you like. Eat, drink, have pleasure. Knock yourself out because this is all you have. In fact, what I would advise is really knock yourself out because this is all you've got. But if we're on the Lord's side, we have eternal life. And what I would advise is sacrifice, clean yourselves, do everything we can for eternal life. This life, this doesn't matter. This, it really doesn't matter. In the context of where we're going, any sacrifices is nothing. So we have to choose. There's an epic battle. Which side are we on? 2 Corinthians 11, verse 1. 
would to God, you Corinthians, that you could bear with me a little in my folly. In other words, the apostle has to lower himself to speak to this congregation. He has to engage in folly. He has to basically state his credentials to the congregation, which he doesn't want to do. He doesn't want to say, look at me, look at my credentials. But because they're following false teachers, he has to do this. So he's asking their forgiveness to bear with him in his folly and indeed bear with me. Verse 2. Because, why, why, why does he have to engage in this folly? Why does he have to exert his authority, his credentials? For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. I have godly jealousy over you. For I have, and, and again, think back to Deacon Jan's sermon last week. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. And so he's jealous over the congregation. Let me, let me say this in a more modern way. As a congregation, you are engaged to be married. So you are a woman. We are a, a, a woman, collectively, engaged to Christ. We are flirting with other men. We're engaged... And we're flirting and engaging in porneia with other men. And it is triggering in the apostle godly jealousy. He said, well, what are you doing? I, I've espoused you to Christ. And I want to present you as a chaste virgin at the wedding ceremony to Christ. And you're behaving unseemly as a congregation. That's, that's what's happening here. You know, as a husband, I don't have jealousy over my wife. And I think all of us men can say that with our wives because we have Proverbs 31 women. Proverbs 31 says, Her husband's heart safely trusts in her because she'll do him no harm. That is a godly woman. If a woman is ungodly and you see her talking to a man and you're her husband, you, you need to go over there and find out what is she saying? What's going on here? Kind of get in the middle. Or what, what's, what's happening here? And a lot of men are, suffer from that kind of jealousy because the wife is unfaithful. Her character is questionable. When the wife's character is sound, she can talk to anybody. The Proverbs 31 woman is in the market doing business, interacting with men. But her husband's heart safely trusts in her. Paul is saying, as a congregation, I cannot safely trust in you. Christ cannot safely trust in you. Because you're flirting and engaging in porneia. Verse 3. But I fear, lest by any means, and he's going to try everything, until he's successful. So there's different ways he's going to try, different devices. And I'm afraid, with godly jealousy, that by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. Key point. He came to her with subtlety. That in the same way that he beguiled Eve through his subtlety, 
in that way, your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So there's a real simplicity in Christ here. You're a virgin, and I've collectively espoused you to Christ. Keep yourself pure. It's as simple as that. It's not complicated. Yet, through subtlety, subtlety and deception, the devil is going to pull us away from this simplicity. And we're going to engage in pornea, spiritual pornea, and not be faithful to Christ. Verse 3 is saying, again, speaking of the sermon last week, you're engaged as a chaste virgin to be married to Christ. And I'm afraid that any man that comes along can seduce you. It's that easy. You're, you're easy picking. You're so unfaithful. Your character is so questionable and shaky that any man can come along and seduce you and take you away from this engagement. That's what he's saying to the Corinthians. How sad. What, what a condemnation of, of, of God's church. Verse 4. For if he that comes, and now he's speaking spiritually now, if he that comes preaches another Jesus, so you're engaged to Jesus, someone's going to come along and present another man. You're a, you're a bride that's engaged. And, and another man comes along whom we have not taught you about. Or if you, we, or if you receive another spirit which you have not received, or another gospel, which you have not accepted, you might well bear with him. You are so easily seduced. There's no character here. You're a loose woman. Basically what he's saying to the congregation is you're a loose woman. You're not a faithful woman. And I'm jealous over you with godly jealousy. I want you to be faithful to Christ. So we see here the the spiritual and the physical parallel. That it's a mystery. Marriage is a mystery, but it's spiritual between Christ and the church. And he says here in 2 Corinthians 11 that in the same way that Satan seduced Eve, that that's the very same Satan, same woman, that in the very same way Satan would seduce the church away from Christ. So why don't we look at what Satan did to Eve to better understand the threat that we face as the espoused virgin to Christ? Let's go to Genesis 2. Genesis 2. Let's begin in verse 25. And they, speaking of Adam and Eve, were both naked, the man and his wife. The marriage bed is undefiled. The man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed, nothing to be ashamed of. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. The Hebrew word for subtle is arum. 
and it means cunning. So the serpent was cunning. Cunning means that I have a plan. I have a strategy. I have a scheme. I'm looking at you, and I'm looking at your situation, and I have a goal to bring you down. I'm not just going to come right away and try and take you down. That, that would be obvious. I'm going to be subtle. I'm going to, uh, maybe crafty. Crafty is a good word. I'm going to be crafty. I'm going to get at you. I am going to destroy you. You're not going to know it. You're going to think I'm your friend. I'm going to be smiling in your face. I'm going to be hugging and kissing you and telling you all kinds of nice things while I hate you and I seek to destroy you. That's what we're dealing with here. So we have, let's, let's not be deceived. We have an enemy that wants to destroy us. But he's subtle. He's cunning. He's crafty. He's patient. He's intelligent and strategic. And he said to the woman, so he approached the woman and he spoke to her. He said, oh, excuse me, <clears throat> has God said that you should not eat of every tree of the garden? Just posing a question. Is this, is this what your God has told you? Look how beautiful this garden is. There's all kinds of different trees and different fruit. It's just gorgeous. Are you telling me that God is preventing you from enjoying the creation? Is there something here that's wrong that you shouldn't enjoy? And the woman said to the serpent, well, actually, we can eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. It's okay. We're here in the garden. I've been eating. We're, we're, we're good. But there's one tree, the fruit that's in the middle of the garden. God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, a complete contradiction, with confidence. You shall not surely die. I'm speaking with authority. You won't die. So I don't know what God is telling you, but I'm telling you, you won't die. And the, and the, the, the word here we say, surely die, in, in Hebrew it's die, die, double die. You won't die, die. You might die, but you won't die, die. It's not like real death. Oh, okay. Now, now the woman is beginning to entertain another outcome that is outside of God's word. And that's the subtlety. So this, this is what we're up against, brethren. That we have the same enemy. We have the same enemy that wants to take us outside of the word of God. That we're going to entertain outcomes that are outside of the word of God. And we're going to doubt our God. Has God said this? You won't die. I mean, you won't die, die. And now suddenly we're thinking, well, God hasn't shown us the whole truth. There's, 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 there's truth that's outside of the Bible that we can entertain. No. Let's not be like Eve. Let's trust God. Let's trust this God who left the Godhead to come to earth to be destroyed so that he could purchase us back from Eve's mistake. That's the God that we trust. What he says, let's hang on to that. And let's not allow someone to come in and get us to wonder, is there something else? And, and it all starts with a question. But how we know that a question is not just a question is when there's an agenda behind the question. If it was just a question, then when Eve answered the question, 
Satan would say, oh, and then he would leave. Because it was just a question. He just wanted information. But it wasn't just a question. He had an agenda. He had a program. He had a strategy. The question was the foray. Now you're on my ground. The moment you start engaging with me now, now you're in my territory, and I can seduce you away from the word of God. For God does know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good or determining good and evil. You'll be just like God. You can decide for yourself what is good and what is evil. And if something is, God says something is evil and you want to declare it good, go ahead. God says something is evil, you want it to be good. You, God says something is good, you want it to be evil, you determine for yourself. You'll be, you'll be on his level. Wouldn't that be great? And so, brethren, this is the old leaven. It's old. In fact, it's older than mankind. It's older than Eve. The old leaven says, it's all about you. You shall be as gods. You can decide for yourself. You don't have to be under God. You can be equal to God. This is old. This this was Lucifer's leaven. Let's call it Lucifer's leaven. I will be like the Most High. I'm not going to be under the Most High. I'm going to be like the Most High. It's old. Basically, think of yourself. In, in Dylan's study with the youth, he spoke about Moses being selfless. That's the unleavened bread. That's Christ-like. That's what we, if, if Eve had only been selfless, to say, well, you know, in my womb, are billions of people. And the decision that I make now, I can't just make for myself. I'm the mother of mankind. I have to think of billions of lives, billions of souls, and their salvation. So I'm not, you know, what, what's in it for them? I'm not just thinking about myself here, uh, Satan or serpent. Uh, what's in it for them? No, I, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm tracking with you. I, I can be like the Most High. Tell, tell me more about this. We need, to, we need to do an investigation now. This sounds interesting. Let's look into this. And so verse 6 is the inquiry. So we look into what Satan is saying. And what we see is this. When the woman saw that the tree was actually good for food. For who? Is she thinking of billions of people? Is it good for us? Are, are we living in a beautiful, lovely world? Or is it a sick, sin-sick world? Well, she's thinking of herself. It's good for her. Good food for her. This is old leaven. And that it was pleasant to the eyes. Whose eyes? We weren't even born yet. I didn't get to see this tree. I'm wondering what kind of fruit is it? It's not pleasant to my eyes, but it was pleasant to hers. And a tree to be desired to make one wise. Which one? Oh, you shall be as God. You will be wise. All self, self, self. Puffing up the self. The self being great. This is really old. Really old. And this is what Satan offers. You can be great. When she saw that she could be great, well, it's a no-brainer. She took the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her. And you know what? It was good for him too. Let's be great together. We don't have to be under God. We can be equal to God. 
Eve was created with Adam in the middle of an epic struggle. An epic struggle between good and evil. Between God and Satan. And she didn't understand what she was a part of. We're no different. We're born into this struggle as well. It's old. We just have to decide which side are we on. Are we on Satan's side? Which is like, what, what's in it for us? Are we on the Lord's side? Which is, how do we save 8 billion people on the planet? And the billions who have bo- been born and died already. How do we retrieve them from the prison that they're in? Are we thinking of ourselves? Or are we thinking of all of mankind? This is, this is what we have to decide. Look at Revelation 12. Revelation 12, verse 7, and there was war in heaven. So this this epic battle. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels. So two sides here. And they prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceives the whole world. It's in the text. I don't know how smart you think you are. I think all of us carnally, we think we're pretty smart. You know, we get lost in a tweet, but we think we're pretty smart. The Hebrews could follow the whole text and not get lost. So there are some really smart people on this planet. We have people we call geniuses. They are just so intellectually powerful that they make us look like imbeciles. The, the processing power in their brains. And what the text says is, there is somebody smarter than all of that. All of the intellect put together of mankind is no match for this. He deceives the whole world. He is so subtle, so cunning, so capable that he deceives the whole world. Whole world. It says whole world. Everybody. That's how powerful this mind is. Deceives the whole world. This this being, this powerful intellect, this cunning character, was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. In other words, we have company. We have company. We can't see them, but they're here. And they're cunning and crafty, and they have one objective, and that's to destroy us. Mankind made in God's image. One objective. You know, we're so sophisticated now that we don't believe in a spirit world. And we look at the pre-modern world, and we look down on them. But I'll tell you this about the pre-modern world. At least they knew the spirit world is real. They may have been evil, they may have been primitive, but you know what? They interacted with the spirit world. And a lot of the science that we have today, including this ability to talk through microphones and broadcast our voice through the air, they learned that type of science from the spirit world. And a lot of the science and technology that we have today 
We didn't just think this up. There's interaction between the spirit world and mankind. He's, they're here on earth. Notice verse 11. It's not that we have to be smarter than them. We don't have to outsmart our enemy. We have to be cleaner than them. That's the strategy. Our intellect is no match, but our character can be better. Verse 11. And they overcame him. I'm sorry, I I, I skipped. Let me go to verse 10. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down. He's here. Which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because they were smarter than him. It's not what it says. We can be as dumb as a doorknob and overcome the devil. It's not about smarts. And we can, be as, uh, we can be genius in intellect and destroy. He deceives the whole world. How do we overcome him? By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And notice this, the opposite of Eve. They loved not their lives unto the death. This is why Satan cannot get to us. Because he, the subtlety of Satan is to appeal to yourself. This will make you wise. This will taste good. This will feel good for you. Think about yourself. And if you think about yourself, Satan's got you. He's smarter than us. But the saints overcome him. Why? Because we're not thinking about ourselves. We we don't care about this life. Not that we're irresponsible, but that we have a vision. We actually see. (laughs) Paul says, I die daily. I die daily. I don't know if I'll see the sunset today. Why? And I don't care. Why? Because there's a resurrection. There is an eternal life. When I was a young man, I told you I quit school. I was in grade 12 and I quit school. And I drove taxi for a while to make a living. And one of my good friends, I have tremendous respect for him to this day. His name was Abdul Rashid. And it was just the way he conducted himself. Very dignified, very noble man. He was leaving the country. And I didn't know this about him, but he had a little business on the side. Most of the people I was with were on welfare. This guy had a business. He had a couple of contracts where he would clean offices. And he called me aside and he said, I'm leaving the country. I want you to look after these clients for me. So my eyes just lit up. I thought, this is so cool. I could be a business person. So I, start, I, I, I went to the library and I studied about how to do contracts. And so I had to do a contract with them, uh, get them to sign the agreement as he passed the client over to me. And I created this uh, company called Combat. And it was like, we combat grime. It was a cleaning company. <laughs> Don't laugh. I was 18, <laughs> 17. And uh, Combat stood for something. C was for cleanliness. O was for orderly, orderliness. M was for maintenance. And I forget the rest. But it was, all, it was an acronym. And so I started this little company. And I went to the client. And I had to go once a week. And it was a trailer that was converted into an office. 
And so I had, he, he brought me in, and, and Abdul Rashid showed me how to clean the place. And then he left. And so I got the keys, and I went in once a week, and I was cleaning. And the owner, the office owner, he had these inspirational sayings up on the walls. And there was one poem that I remembered, and it said this. When things go wrong, as they sometimes will, when the road you're trudging seems all uphill, when the funds are low and the debts are high, and you want to smile, but you have to sigh, when care is pressing you down a bit, rest if you must, but you must not quit. Life is queer with its twists and turns, and every one of us sometimes learns, and many a fellow turns about when he might have won had he stuck it out. Don't give up, though the pace seems slow. You, most, you may succeed with another blow. Often the goal is nearer than it seems to a faint and faltering man. Often the struggler has given up when he might have captured the victor's cup. And he learned too late when the night came down how close he was to the golden crown. Success is failure turned inside out, the silver tint in the clouds of doubt. And you never can tell how close you are. It might be near when it seems afar. So stick to the fight when your heart is hit. It's when things seem worst that you must not quit. So I love that poem. And it, it strengthened me. And I was going to need that strength because he called me into his office. And he fired me. <laughs> he basically said, I wasn't doing a good job. And, you know, when I look back on it, I saw that he actually, he liked me. He saw that I was a high school dropout, and he shared with me that he himself only had grade 8 education. And, and so he, gave, he inspired me that you, you can make it, just not here. <laughs> so I would go in every week, and I would mop the floor. But as I think of it now, I was just moving dirt around. I don't remember Abdul Rashid teaching me about Lysol and Mr. Clean and, and different kind of soaps and agents that you can use to clean. So I think I just took water and bucket, and I didn't even clean them off. And I think when he came in, it was just getting worse and worse and worse. So my question to you, as we read here in Revelation 12:11, that they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. What's your cleaning agent? Are you like me and just kind of moving the dirt around, moving from one corner to another, and think you're doing something? When God wants to see cleanliness, the cleaning agent is the blood of the Lamb. And this is how we overcome the devil. He's smarter than us. He's smarter than all mankind put together. But we can overcome him through cleanliness. So let me, in the time remaining, brethren, talk about cleanliness, physically and spiritually. We need to be chaste virgins before marriage, physically and spiritually. That means we must purge out the pornea, physically and spiritually. 1 Corinthians, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 6.
1 Corinthians 6, and beginning in verse 16, same author Paul talking to this Corinthian church. What? Don't you know that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? For two, says he, shall be one. So the Corinthians were visiting prostitutes. And Paul is writing to them and saying, you don't know what you're doing. Don't you realize that when you see a prostitute, you're becoming one with that prostitute. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. So you have a choice. You're going to join yourself to the Lord or you're going to join yourself to porneia. You can't do both. It's one or the other. Flee porneia. Again, it says fornication here, but it's porneia. Any form of sexuality outside of marriage, stay away from it. Don't go in. Run. Run for your life. Run for your life. Don't get, don't get anywhere near it. Every sin that a man does is without the body, but he that commits porneia sins against his own body. What Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you? which you have of God, and you are not your own. So God has bought us. For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So our bodies belong to God. We need to glorify God. Our bodies are a temple for God. We need to glorify God in our bodies. First Thessalonians, another congregation now, same message. First Thessalonians 4. He says here, First Thessalonians 4 and verse 1, Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you, we're begging you and exhorting you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received as us, received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. Verse 4, that every one of you, well, verse 3, this is the will of God, even your sanctification. That's God's will, that we be sanctified, that you should abstain from porneia, stay away from it, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which don't know God that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter. Verse 7, For God has not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. And that's the point, that God has called us to holiness. We, we, sh- we cannot be unclean. We, we cannot have anything to do with porneia. We, we uphold marriage. We, we are for marriage. We're against everything and anything that is against marriage. We are for marriage. And we're against it all equally. It's not that we're against one thing. Really, you know, we're really against this, but this is kind of okay. No. Anything at all that's outside of marriage, that's sexual in nature, we're against it equally. God has not called us to uncleanness, but to holiness. He, therefore, that despises, despises not man, but God, who has also given unto us his Holy Spirit. We're in a postmodern society. Postmodernism means 
the intellects that run our world want to destroy it so that they can rebuild it and redefine it. And one of the pillars that they're destroying is marriage. They're doing everything they can to destroy marriage so that they can redefine family, which goes at the heart of this epic battle between Satan and God. There is, in the movies now, the theaters now. This world has gone mad. Here's evidence. In the theater right now, box office blockbuster. Going wild. Multi, multi million dollar enterprise called Fifty Shades of Grey. This thing is out of control. So it was written book form, sold off the shelves. Now it's in the movies. Blockbuster weekend. Looks like it's going to be a record. This is a film and was a book. It's a story about the destruction of virginity with a sadomasochist. It is about a sadomasochist who brings a virgin into a life of sadomasochism. Is it just me? Or... Has this world gone mad? What are we doing? What are we digesting? How are we being programmed that we are going to dishonor marriage, but we're going to honor sadomasochism? Is it just me? Am I the odd one out, or does this seem strange to you? Something's terribly wrong. And, And young people... I wish it was different. I I wish you could be born into a world of beauty. I wish that our legacy was we made the world a better place for you. We haven't. It's worse. We're, we're, We're handing to you a world that has gone mad. And all we can say to you is keep yourselves pure. You are beautiful people. I'll say this world is not good enough. You're beautiful people. Keep yourselves pure. Flee pornea. Don't have anything to do with it. I was going to read you 2 Samuel 13. I'll ask you to read it for yourselves. 2 Samuel 13 speaks of the love between two people. It's a love story. A young man called Amnon loved a young woman, a virgin, named Tamar problem was, she was his sister, half-sister. They were both children of David, different mothers. And he mourned. He, he loved her so much, he was sick with love. When his friend, who was more subtle than anybody else, gave him a cunning plan. And long story short, Amnon got to be alone with Tamar. And when he was alone, he raped her. And as soon as he finished having her, the hatred that he had for her exceeded the love. He had intense love for her. When he was done with her, his hatred exceeded the intensity of the love that he had for her. And it just shows you how emotions are fickle. And they can flip one way or the other. 
And, and what we want is to protect you from that. Many, many young people commit suicide because of the emotional intensity of love, which is really lust. What we want is keep your head on your shoulders. Don't engage in pornea. Concept of boyfriend and girlfriend doesn't belong in the church. It's pornea. What's in the church is marriage. We, we are for marriage. Keep yourselves pure. Don't canoodle. Don't engage in any kind of pornea. But if you find a young man, a young woman, that you really feel that I could build a life with this person, we support you. We support you. You're beautiful people. Find, be, be, to be with other beautiful people. Don't, don't be with a sadomasochist. But don't engage in pornea. Keep yourself a chaste virgin until you're married. You, you want to be together and say, you know what? This woman saved herself for me. This man saved himself for me. What we share is special. No one else ever had this. This is special between us. That's what we want for you. So we want to keep ourselves pure. Paul says to the Corinthian church, the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither pornos, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers with themselves, with mankind. None of these people will inherit the kingdom of God. Proverbs 3, you sang today so beautifully. We want to, we want to advise you to do that. And Pastor Murray spoke about that in his sermon. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And don't lean on your own. Let's quickly look at spiritual purity. Spiritual purity. We want to be chaste until marriage, physically and spiritually. Colossians 3. Colossians 3. And as we look at this spiritually, what I want to underline, brethren, is that physical perversity, physical corruption, and spiritual corruption are tightly coupled. They're two sides of the same coin. Why? Because there's true worship, and then there's everything else. True worship is the worship of God. Everything else is the worship of the devil. And the devil hates marriage. He hates it. He hates what it represents. He hates what it symbolizes. Therefore, his false worship system is all about the destruction of marriage. And what he offers with his false worship is sexual perversion. You can't, you can't study the Bible and study false worship and not see sexual perversion. They're, they're tightly coupled. Colossians 3. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on earth. For you are dead, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then you shall appear also with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon earth. 
because of this vision, mortify your members which are on earth, porneia, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So covetousness is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience. This is something that angers God. And it's for these things that his wrath is coming on the children of disobedience, in the which you also walk some time when you lived in them. So young people, are you? We lived like this. We want you to be better than us. We didn't know. We were in ignorance. We want you to be better. We want you to be enlightened. Let's quickly look at 2 Kings 17 to understand this coupling of idolatry and porneia. 2 Kings 17, verse 7. For so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, which had brought them up out of the land of Egypt. We would say today, the equivalent we would say, is that the Christians, the Corinthians, sinned against Christ, who sacrificed himself for them. He is our Passover, and even so, we sin against him. Here, the original Passover, they took them out of Egypt, and yet they still sin against him. We haven't changed. Which brought them up out of the land of Egypt from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and had feared other gods. And they walked in the statutes of the heathen, whom the Lord God had cast out before the children of Israel and the kings of Israel, which they had made. Verse 11. And there they burnt incense in all the high places, as did the heathen whom the Lord carried away before them and wrought wicked things to provoke the Lord to anger. And the youth were in Exodus 32 earlier. And it says that Moses was taking a long time. They asked for all the gold. They gave the gold to Aaron. He put it in the furnace. And it says a golden calf came out. It was a bull, a male male calf. It was a bull. That's their Baal worship. And it says later in that passage, when Moses came down, all the people were naked. False worship and porneia, they go together. Satan offers pleasure. Come worship me, and I'll give you pleasure. And that's where we see the same thing happening here, years later. They served idols, verse 12, whereof the Lord said to him, you shall not do this thing. But notice here in verse 15, they rejected his, his, his religion, his statutes. Verse 16, they left all the commandments. And verse 17 is what I wanted to come to. Verse 16, they left all the commandments of the Lord their God and made them molten images, even two, it says calves here, should be bulls. It's bull worship. And made a grove, and worshipped all the host of heaven, and served Baal. And they caused their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire. This sexual immorality was so pleasing to them, that when Baal said, sacrifice your children to me, the Israelites did it. They took their babies, and they put them in the oven for Baal, for Molech. Verse 20. Sorry, verse 17. They caused their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire, 
and used divination and enchantments and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Nothing's changed, brethren. Nothing has changed. Verse 20, And the Lord rejected all the seed of Israel and afflicted them and delivered them into the hand of the spoilers until he had cast them out of his sight. Nothing has changed. We're in the same situation today. We're involved in divinations and enchantments and porneia. All of this 50 shades of gray, you better believe it. That's religion. That's religion. That's worship. Sadomasochism, that's worship. And, and it's become popular now. It's in the popular culture. We don't call it religion. We don't call it worship. We call it a blockbuster movie. It's worship. As far as Satan and Christ go, they're worshiping Satan. We're just too sophisticated to call it religion. But that's what it is. Nothing has changed. And the reaction that Christ has to this, the Lord rejected all the seed of Israel, all of them, and, and the Lord afflicted them and delivered them into the hands of the spoilers. You know, I saw, I think you saw this Jordanian pilot. ISIS burned him alive. And the Muslims got up and said, oh, that's not Islam. How terrible. He was a Muslim. Muslims don't, don't kill other Muslims. And we certainly don't burn people. Well, you know what I do? I say, Mr. Google, did Muhammad burn Muslims? And I check the Hadith. And lo and behold, yes, Muhammad burned people alive. And yes, any Muslim that is a hypocrite is as bad as an infidel. And yes, he burned hypocrites. So ISIS is just following the playbook. ISIS is the purest form of Islam. And everybody else is a hypocrite. ISIS is practicing Islam because they're following the Prophet Muhammad. And the playbook doesn't say, we just want Jordan and Syria. The playbook says, we want the whole world. So what's happening there is coming here. And all of this false worship, divinations, enchantments that we're engaged in here in the West, Scripture says here, and the Lord rejected all the seed of Israel and afflicted them and delivered them into the hands of the spoilers until he cast them out of his sight. That playbook, God is authorizing it. Islam will be successful. Every year you're going to see Islam more successful than the year before because God is backing it. Two scriptures and then we conclude. First Timothy four. First Timothy four and verse one. Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times, so in the end time, this is what the Spirit is telling us, in the end time, in our time, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits. The subtlety of Satan. That we're going to have people in the faith 
they're going to walk away from the faith. Why? They allowed themselves to be deceived by the subtlety of the devil, the same way Eve was. Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. We don't call it doctrines of devils. We have sophisticated names for it. But we need to see below the surface. Anything that attacks marriage, any form of porneia, is a doctrine of demons. Christ is all about marriage. It's a mystery. Christ is all about marriage. Speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry. The word is kulo'o, kulo'o. Kula'o to marry. It, do, it doesn't mean forbidding. It means preventing. We're going to program people so that they think sadomasochism between some random guy and a virgin is a wonderful thing to, to be pursued. That's it. Doctrines of demons. Programming people to despise marriage and honor sadomasochism. And the destruction of virginity. The destruction of chastity. In the last days, these seducing spirits, doctrines of devils, preventing marriage, diminishing marriage, and commanding to abstain from meats which God has created to be received with thanksgiving. Dropping down to verse 13. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Keep doing this. Pay attention reading the scriptures, teaching them, exhorting, focusing on doctrine. Be pure in our doctrine. Neglect neglect not the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy, with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give yourself wholly to them. Let's, Let's really immerse ourselves in this truth. We have it. Others don't. We have it. We understand what the purpose of life is, that your profiting may appear to all. Take heed to yourself, please. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Really care about this. Don't get involved in any kind of spiritual immorality. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, you shall save yourself and them that hear you. Let's conclude in 1 John 3. And while you're there, I'll just read a passage that's very familiar to us. And it's Ephesians 5, which speaks of marriage. And he begins that passage saying, verse 3, but fornication, porneia, and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. So physically, And spiritually, porneia should never be named among us. Purge out the old leaven. Get rid of it so that we can be a new lump. That means we all have to be vigilant. We all have to be vigilant, physically and spiritually. We can't allow it. And there's just one other passage I want to read from this before we go to 1 John 3. And that is verse 26 and 27. He says, well, 25. You know the scriptures. Husbands, love your wives. The marriage bed is undefiled. 
love your wives. That, that's our duty. Love our wives. Why? It's a parallel. Love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. He sacrificed himself for it. Why? That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. We're being cleansed by the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. That's what we're involved in. That's the process we're undergoing. We're using the blood of Christ to cleanse ourselves from porneia, physical and spiritual, so that we can be presented to Christ a chaste virgin. 1 John 3. 1 John 3. So we're coming into the spring holy days. Let's go into these holy days with a sense of ceremony and not ritual. Ritual is, oh, we do this every year. Pass me the matzo. Ritual. Ceremony is, we're excited. I had a wedding ceremony when I married my wife. I was engaged. I was, I was fully present. That's ceremony. It is a ritual. There's a marriage ritual that we go through. But we do it ceremoniously. And so the holy days are a ritual. It's an annual ritual. But we observe them ceremoniously. We're, we're going into this realizing we have to be pure. We, we have to be deleavened, Not for seven days. For our lives. That's what we're signed up to. Getting rid of the old leaven. It's really old. Porneia is old. It's really old. It started with Lucifer when he said, I will be like the Most High. That's where it started. It's old. Let's get the old leaven out so that we can be a new lump. 1 John 3 and verse 1. Behold, what manner of love, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knows us not. Because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. This is real, brethren. This is real. We are the children of God. What we're going to be when Christ returns, we don't fully comprehend it yet. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard the things that God has prepared for those who love him. It's coming. This is real. This is what we live for. Now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, and that's soon and very soon, when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's what's going to happen. Christ is going to appear. We will be changed, and we will be like him. And every man that has this hope in him, purifies himself, even as he is pure. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.com.
www.thebibleproject.org.